Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 159. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with the endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Hi guys. So as I mentioned, today is another live Q&A style episode with our next episode this week is going to be my regular recorded episode. So this is another Q&A. You may have seen it on Instagram, you may have not. Um, And this is a nice short Q&A, but Um, I really noticed that many of those who watched it found it really helpful because it related questions that they had um, and people messaged me afterwards. So hopefully there's something in this episode for you too. In this episode, I answered how do you test for SIBO and what do you ask for if you go to the doctors? Advice on exercising with diaphragmatic endometriosis and whether you can get rid of scar tissue and adhesions with other methods other than surgery. So hopefully you'll be able to find something in those questions and answers that are helpful for you. And I also wanted to remind you guys that tomorrow is the first of my endo belly workshops this week. It's the first time I've run these workshops. I'm really excited about them. It's called Creating a Roadmap for Endo Belly Healing. And it's at 6 p.m. BST on both days. So tomorrow, the 5th of October and Thursday the 7th of October. In these workshops, we're going to be identifying your core endo belly challenges and symptoms. So we're gonna be prioritizing the symptoms you want to work on. So you're not like dealing with overwhelm and not knowing where to start. I'm gonna teach you the first, second and third line therapies for identifying and healing your root causes of the endo belly. And then we're gonna set goals and next steps so that you can actually begin your healing journey as soon as you're ready after the workshop. So if you want to sign up, the link is in the show notes and you don't have to attend live. It's better if you do because it's an interactive session, but if you're, you know, in Australia and you can't attend live, then just sign up and you'll get the email the next day with the recording. So yeah, hopefully um, that works for those of you who can't attend live. 
So the link is in the show notes and I look forward to seeing some of you tomorrow. And lastly, I just wanted to mention this because I had like, I don't know, over a thousand views on the stories and people DMing me. So I posted at the weekend a wonderful, beautiful little cat um, that we came across in the mountains and she was just so cuddly and affectionate and um, I mentioned on Instagram I think she knew I had a, a broken heart after we lost our cat on Friday because she just wanted so many cuddles and you know we mentioned that she may have been cared for because she was very friendly with humans because obviously there's most cats in Greece are strays and she didn't follow us um, she wanted to stay put in her area. But I had a lot of DMs of people being like, you know, cats should never be on the streets, blah, blah, blah. And I think people wanted us to have taken her then and there because I said, like, we thought about, like, you know, how can we get her adopted? But we don't know if she's got any got an owner. Just to be clear, we were in the mountains on foot um so a couple people said about like taking her like asking the locals so we were by this point we'd been in the mountains for about four hours and we had been lost for three of those and we gave her nearly all of our water nearly all of our food and we were on foot so we'd been walking for four hours and to have tried to carry her down the mountain with no like nothing to put her in she could have jumped and ran away at any moment. And if we had taken her away from somewhere that she knows and she could get food, then we could potentially be essentially ending her life because she could be lost in the wilderness with no access to food. So, and there were no kind of locals we could have asked because in the mountains, there's just acres and acres of farmland. So it would literally be a case of like walking, you know, for miles to get to one place and miles to the next. So we would need to get a car, go back up there, see if we could find her again, and then um, put her in a cat basket and drive around to the farms to ask if she belongs to anyone. But there was food and water left out by basically just this kind of the side of the um, side of the road. So someone is aware of her presence, and whether it's a case that she. There's a lot of um, farm cats, so cats that like sort of live on the farms, but they don't necessarily go inside the house, but they have like cat kind of beds and ha- like little like houses that they can go into. We saw quite a number of those. Um, so that could be a possibility, definitely could be a possibility that she, um, I mean, we've seen a lot, a lot, a lot of strays. We've been to Greece before and she was fairly clean and slim but not underweight and she stayed put as if she had a area so anyway we have so that's why we didn't take her then and there we physically couldn't have done and ethically we could have put her in more danger and we don't know if she's being cared for there was another cat that we found in Skopolos when we were there and the vet advised us not to try and get him adopted because he wouldn't adjust to life because he'd been in the wild for so long that he wouldn't adjust to life in in a house um, and that he was cared for by the local community so the the vet there told us not to do that so we contacted a charity about um this cat who we've named sky and we're just going to take it from there 
as you guys know, like we are in rented accommodation and our plan was not to settle anytime soon, but to try and keep traveling within what Brexit allows um, next year and, and for the foreseeable future. So if we, if she, I don't know what our next steps will be. We're just waiting to hear from the charity whether we rethink our future in order to take her or whether we we come from families that adore cats. So whether someone in our family would take her we obviously need to fundraise the money to get her over. So there's a lot of things that we need to work through, but we're waiting to hear from the charity first to find out like what is the most ethical option because it's obviously very distressing to the animals to take them over as well because she have to go on um, ferries and planes and things like that. So we want to make sure that we're not kind of putting her through trauma when she actually has a home. So I just wanted to kind of explain that in more context because I had so many messages and I didn't want people to think that Chris and I aren't caring and we just walked away from her easily because we've not stopped thinking about her and I was very, very upset. But equally, you know, we didn't want to risk hurting her by trying to pick her up and walk down a mountain with her in our arms and her jumping and running So I just wanted to make that clear. Um, I will now let you guys get to the episode and I will see you later this week. Corrine, so um, unfortunately, SIBO is still like, it's still not very well um, understood by a lot of doctors. They don't know about it. Some of them don't believe it's real, which I don't understand how they don't believe it's not real. Um, It's where really endometriosis was about 10 years ago, I would say. Um, in terms of like awareness around it. So hopefully it's gaining, like it's definitely gaining awareness at the moment. So that's great. Um, so that would be why you hadn't heard of it before. Um, in terms of how do you test for it? So it's a breath test. So what you, um, I'm trying to think if I've got anything that looks like, no, definitely not. So you have like um, a plastic tube and out of the plastic tube is another tube and that tube has a needle in it don't worry you're not touching the needle um and then there's a plastic bag attached to the tube you um you breathe into that and then you get a test tube and you insert the test tube into that extra um tube the needle pierces it and your breath goes into the test tube and then you remove it so it's about a five second process you like breathe in normally, you put it against your mouth, you breathe into it. Once the bag's inflated, then you insert the test tube, you hold it for two seconds and then you take it out. Um, So that's your baseline. So you do a baseline, so you get a baseline reading of what your gas levels are saying. And then you drink a solution and then you test every 20 minutes after this solution. And what the test is testing for is not for SIBO itself in terms of the bacteria, but for the gas produced by the SIBO because the um, small intestine is on average 22 feet long. It can be up to 30 feet long. So we can't get that far in to test the bacteria without really, really invasive um, treatments. And even with the invasive treatments, they can't get that far down. Sorry, not treatments, examinations, where you know they put, they do a biopsy, they put something down your throat. Um, and even then they can't get that far down. So what this does is it tests the gases that are produced by the SIBO. So that's hydrogen, methane, and hydrogen sulfide. 
Um, hydrogen sulfide you can only get tested for in the USA, but you can um, you can use some interpretation methods from the methane and hydrogen test to see whether maybe there's hydrogen sulfide there. It's, it's not always possible to do. It really depends on what your test results look like. Um, so it's tested for free gases. Um, and then there's a certain interpretation criteria, like what would be a positive criteria. And I, in my episode on testing, um, I take you through what the criteria is. And in my episode with Dr. Addison Seebecker, I do that as well. But essentially you're looking for um, above 20 parts per million. So the gas levels are measured in parts per million. Above 20 parts per million by 90, sorry, by 120 minutes into the test. The test is three hours long. Um, for methane, it is, it depends. It's above 10 parts per million. Um, at any point in the test, if it's above 10 parts per million, that's positive. If it's above three parts per million to nine parts per million and you have constipation, that's also positive. But if you don't have constipation, then it would only be positive when you reach the 10. So that's a very whistle-stop tool as to what's positive. Um, and it is very difficult to get hold of the test in the UK. Now, Corrine, I think you're in Australia. Um, so in the UK, it's really hard to get a test on the NHS. Firstly, a lot of doctors don't know what it is. A lot of GPs don't know what it is. Um, a lot of them won't test for it um, if they do know what it is. And then secondly, my experience is those who do test for it, the test is, the, their test interpretation is wildly different from what I've been trained in, in terms of test interpretation. And my testing, I've trained with um, Dr. Alison Seebecker, who's one of the world's leading SIBO doctors. Like, literally one of the best SIBO doctors in the world um, and her um, interpretation goes alongside the um, Amer North American consensus which is the kind of guidance for test interpretation and she's tweaked it very very slightly because she's seen thousands and thousands and thousands of tests. Um, the um, measurements for the NHS are very 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 conservative and they are missing so, so many positive test results. Like it's actually pretty shocking. Um, I've seen their interpretation of clients' test results and I'm just kind of shocked as to how they can say it's a negative. Like it's unbelievable. So um, I guess, I, I've never seen a UK criteria, but this seems to be the internal NHS criteria. Um, so all of the SIBO leading doctors that I know of, who are literally the world leaders, use the interpretation that I use. So that's what I'm going to stick to. Um, so I don't recommend going to the NHS. The chances are they're going to say to you it's negative. They also, for some reason, don't test both gases. They only seem to test hydrogen and not methane, unless under like certain circumstances, which again, doesn't really make sense to me. Um, so hydrogen and methane you can order privately um and that's very easy to do it does cost 165 pounds on average in the uk um but you can order it very easily online um you can get it from without working with a practitioner you can get it from smart SIBO test so um, that's what I would recommend you do. But for you, Corrine, because you're in Australia, you are 
really, really lucky because in Australia, there's one of the best SIBO clinics called the Biome Clinic, I believe it's called. But regardless, just Google Dr. Narada Jacobi. She's known as a SIBO doctor. Um, she has a great podcast. She has a great course. I've done her course. She has a patient course. Um, she has testing, um, testing kits you can order. Um, and I've used them for my clients who are based in Australia. You can order it as a patient. Um, don't think you need to be working with a practitioner um, to get it ordered, but you might need to just, just have a look. I think you can order it though. Um, and that was, I can't remember what it was in Australian dollars, but it, it was basically the same. It worked out the equivalent, like just under 200 pounds. Um, so, um, yeah, it's really easy to get hold of. And Dr. Narada Jacoby has a great video on YouTube that I send to all of my clients about how to perform the test. So you get to see it visually. I really, really recommend that. And I really, really, really recommend you listen to my episode on testing because there are some things you should super be aware of that aren't outlined in the test instructions. So your test might go wrong. Um, there's just some kind of like nuances and finer details that are often missed in the instructions. So I would just have a listen to that podcast episode so that you do it right. Um, and yeah, what do you ask for? You're looking for a methane hydrogen SIBO test and it will either be glucose or lactulose, but I recommend that you use the lactulose. The reason being is what that substrate is called a substrate. It's just a solution. You pour it like it, it looks like um, it looks like orange maple syrup, and you pour it into water, um, and then you drink that. What it's doing is it's feeding the SIBO, so then it makes the gas, and then we can tell how much SIBO is there from the gas that's produced. So. Um, the glucose, that gets very, very rapidly absorbed within the first three feet of the small intestine. So if your SIBO is further down, that test is gonna miss it completely. So for that reason, I don't use a glucose test. Um, I use a lactulose, that's often preferred because it's a, um, a sugar that isn't absorbed. So it stays in the small intestine for the duration of the test. So we get an accurate diagnosis. Um, you can combine and do both tests if you want to be like super, super sure. Um, so you can try that. Um, but I always use a lactulose. Um, if it's negative, you can try the glucose, but I've never really, I've never had a problem with the lactulose test. Um, so Corinne, I hope that helps. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Aisha, you said any advice on exercising with um, endo on the diaphragm? Aisha, so I, um, uh, yeah, I don't want to give you any um, specific exercises in case. I would imagine that they're going to give you breathing exercises to expand that area. 
Um, I would also actually, Aisha, um, I hope I'm saying your name right. I would um, speak to a visceral manipulation therapist and get them to fill around the area because, um, so I don't have endo on my diaphragm, but um, I have adhesions around my diaphragm. We're not really sure why. It could have been from the impact of my car accident. Um, probably quite likely. Um, and I've also had suspected pneumonia as well. So inflammation and infections causes adhesions. So I was given breathing exercises. So um, when I saw my visceral manipulation therapist and she did a lot of um, body work to release it, um, they haven't gone yet because I haven't I haven't been back because um, I'm, I'm trying to find someone else. It was too far. Um, so I would speak to a visceral manipulation therapist, get some work done to release the adhesions around there, speak to a pelvic floor physiotherapist who is trained in endometriosis and speak to a specialist. And from there, talk to them about safe exercises. That would be the, um, I think that would be the best situation for you. Uh, I hope that helps, but yeah, I'm not trained because I'm not like a personal trainer or pelvic floor physio. There are some exercises that I can provide my clients that are general, but for diaphragm endo, I just, I, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't have that skill set. So I wouldn't want to kind of cause you harm. So then Samantha, you ask, can you get rid of scar tissue and adhesions with other methods other than more surgery? Samantha, I'm so glad you asked this, a hundred percent, yes, absolutely. I would actually, unless a doctor advised for a very specific reason that adhesions needed to be, um, you know, cut out for some reason or cut away, I would never recommend to my clients that they use surgery because it's just gonna cause more adhesions. Use surgery for adhesions, right, from scar tissue, I don't mean for endometriosis in itself, because there are often situations where it's relevant and, and it's needed. But for adhesions that have formed post-surgery or adhesions that have formed because of endometriosis, what I recommend is visceral manipulation. So there's um, lots of mosquitoes here. Visceral manipulation, pelvic floor physiotherapy, and Arvigo massage or some kind of body or womb work that basically stimulates the area, breaks down that scar tissue, breaks down and releases those adhesions. Um, so what I tend to do with my clients is I refer them to one of my colleagues who's an Arvigo massage therapist and she teaches them how to practice it on themselves. They do that every evening if they can before bed and that stimulates the blood flow to the area and helps to clear away the scar tissue, kind of like debris and cells and things like that. It starts helping to um, enhance the healing because blood flow is getting there. Then a visceral manipulation therapist, what they do is they basically really get in there between the organs and stuff and break up the adhesions. It's, it's quite, um, it's quite full on, you can feel it. Um, so uh, you can see a visceral manipulation therapist. There is a directory to find a visceral manipulation therapist. They have to be trained in visceral manipulation specifically. Um, so I can't remember the link, but if you go to my podcast episode called, um, I think it's called like eight tips of freeing up adhesions. It's something tips for freeing up adhesions. Then, um, uh, in there, I have the link 
to the directory so you just find someone locally for you um, and then the top of the top for adhesions scientifically proven helps with fertility avoids endometriosis surgery so it's incredible is clear passage um, it's like visual manipulation but it's more advanced unfortunately it's super expensive it's five grand um, if you've got the money though I do think it's worth it um, I've not tried it I would love to try it maybe one day they'll give it to me for free <laughs> for a review I don't know it would be amazing to try it um, but yeah I don't I haven't tried it but um, the studies behind it are phenomenal so you can go to their website and read their studies um, it's called Clear Passage and it's specifically great for endometriosis and SIBO, pelvic pain, pain with sex. Um, so you could try any of those and you can also try a wound massage. But I would say like the wound massage, depending on which one you go with, it might be a bit more vague. It might not be specific enough to get in there and break up the adhesions. But those would be what I uh, would recommend. So um, I hope that helps them out for um, those are the three questions I have. I mean, I posted really late today because I didn't know what time. We had the Airbnb host was sending someone around to fix a couple of things and I didn't know when they were going to arrive. So I didn't want to give you guys time and then cancel. Um, so let me know if you have any questions now that I can answer. Um, if not, I will share this to the um, Instagram page so you guys can watch it back. And I hope it was helpful. I'll just wait in case any of you have a question and find my water. Actually, I actually don't know where I put it. Oh, it's all the way over there. Okay, I don't think there are any more questions. I'm gonna grab my phone without dropping it. Um, and yeah, okay, cool. So, I will see you guys next week for another Q&A. Let me know if you have any suggestions for um, themes that you want me to cover. And yeah, I'll see you next week. Hope you have a lovely weekend. Bye, everyone. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 